The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. to On The Farm, Picture List, podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. Welcome to episode 30. It's been 30 episodes already, everybody, of On The Farm today. And today, you know, sometimes I get a little nervous when I'm writing for these things because I don't always have a subject. I don't always have an easy topic or an obvious theme to write about during the week. And I get a little panicky when it's time to record. And then sometimes the baseball gods bless us at the last minute. And that's what I received. And I think we all received this weekend as I was trying to figure out what today's uh, episode was going to be about. And we got not only the debut of Matt Liberator and Nolan Gorman uh, for the Cardinals and their longtime uh, buddies and, and grew up and played together in Little League. So that's a, that's a great and wholesome story there. But we also got the long-awaited arrival of yet another top prospect, Adley Rushman, being announced uh, Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, or I'm sorry, Friday night and Saturday morning that he was going to uh, debut for the Orioles and and just set Twitter all abuzz, set my timeline all ablaze in the best possible way. Um, and so today's going to be kind of a grab bag as we kind of have a blown out version of Prospect Roundup. And then we're going to delve into talking about Adley Rushman and really more so what uh, what comes next for the Baltimore Orioles with their rebuild now that he has been promoted to the big leagues. So with that said, let's get started with a little bit of Prospect Roundup. Starting first in Miami, where Max Meyer was placed on the minor league I.O. with owner nerve irritation. Uh, Marlins don't seem to be concerned, uh, but the timing of this I.O. stint after two clunkers uh, of starts from Myers, it's something to at least play a uh, pay close attention to. Uh, it could be unrelated. It could just be a matter of coincidence. Uh, but it also very much could be um, one thing resulting from the other. And I know that for a lot of us in the community, Meyer was probably the next um, big name pitcher, at least, if not player overall. 
that we anticipated being called up uh, in the next month or so. And I would say this may um, set that timing back a little bit uh, just for him to get through the actual IL stay um, and then see what he looks like in his next uh, start or two. So if you are um, holding Max Meyer, not necessarily saying you need to panic, but just uh, keep a close eye on what's going on, how they're working with him. Um, And if you maybe we're still trying to target Meyer. Uh, I guess I'm thinking more so if you're in a redraft league, um, just hold off, uh, you know, keep him on the radar again, keep an eye on what they're talking about. But I would say he's probably now uh, another month out from, from getting uh, that promoted uh, from getting that promotion to the big leagues. Um, and that's assuming the aisle stint is brief and he comes back, you know, perfectly healthy if there is something more to it or if we're still seeing some more um suboptimal outings from him uh on the mound then that could change that timetable even more um a surprise debut um or a debut that that really i don't think anybody was um, paying much attention to at all um going into it and then i think it should grab um, more people's attention uh, in the aftermath of it was Davis Martin of the White Sox. Uh, Davis Martin made his debut on Monday, this past Monday night for the White Sox, kind of just um, more so a, a spot start um, to fill innings. The White Sox had just signed um, Johnny Cueto. So obviously bringing him in um, to the organization and getting him uh, uh, up to par to be able to be part of their rotation. They just needed somebody to kind of slot in between games uh so they bring up davis martin not really a well-known prospect um or even somebody i would say is a prospect per se in in the conventional sense um but he grabbed at least my attention and, and some other people's attention that um i was talking to in a few different um discord servers he ends up with seven strikeouts overall um he got nine whiffs on his slider he was sitting uh, between about 94 and 96, he did touch 97 a couple times with his four-seamer and had really good um, command and control of that four-seamer, was able to paint both sides of the plate on the corners with that, and really had four pitches in total um, with the slider, with the four-seam, with a curve and a changeup. Um, seemed really effective, uh, especially to left-handed batters, which is always going to be helpful. Um, I went in my home league and just grabbed him just as a stash. He did get optioned right back down after the game, which was again, anticipated based on um, Chicago's uh, roster and and their sort of uh, rotational makeup now with signing Johnny Cueto. But I'm just kind of curious about him now. Uh, I watched the, um, I watched playback um, through MLB film room and uh, looked at the Savant data, obviously, and again, I'm just curious. It's not a name that I knew. Um, and, and I got a hat tip uh, and I'm blanking on your username, of course, off the top of my head. I apologize. But somebody in one of the um, Discord servers actually brought this to the channel's attention um, just because he knew uh, Martin's, I guess, uh, some family from Martin. And they were posting about, you know, him getting the call and his start on their sort of social media page. And so. He was just kind of bringing it to the channel's general attention. Okay, cool. That's a nice story. But then I 
take a look and these five five innings seven k's uh no runs i believe only maybe a couple of hits um i didn't have the full line in front of me right now but um you know even then you're thinking okay well you know they don't have a book on this guy uh you know sometimes it's kind of easy to get get one over when there's not really an obvious roster um, when there's not really an obvious scouting report on you. Uh, so let me take a look and I, again, dive it into, let me actually see it. Let me look into the data. Okay. Wow. Slider's playing really well. Okay. Looking at the game. Wow. He's hitting 97. He's hitting, you know, upper nineties pretty easily and pretty well. Um, again, that command and control, both sides of the plate. That's a big deal as well. Uh, able to keep things down in the zone for the most part. He didn't really go up in the zone uh, only a few times with the fastball. So again, having a good idea of how you want to attack um, each hitter, good game plan. Again, this could completely be a one-off, but I would say if you're in a deep league and you have an open spot, maybe somebody to at least add to a short list, maybe you don't have to add them to the team immediately, um, but somebody to add to a short list because I just don't, I don't know what this guy's, uh, again overall potential is is going to be i still have to take a look at his minor league numbers um and his minor league starts nothing uh from the cursory look that i um had a chance to take nothing that jumped out as being great nothing that was uh horrendous or or you know posed any sort of red flags as far as oh maybe he's like being supremely lucky in this bucket or he has some things that are going to come back to bite him and just haven't gotten there yet. So I just want to see a little bit more of him before I can make a bit more of a final decision. But the way things go in my home league, uh, you know, I knew if I waited, I was going to get, uh, you know, sniped on him anyway. So if I wanted to take him, go ahead. I had to open a, a roster spot. So Davis Martin for the White Sox, name to know, name to keep an eye on for, like I say, really for the deep leagues. And I mean, I'm talking about deep league. So I'm talking about 18 teamers plus um, redraft folk. Don't I wouldn't worry about him right now. Shallower team or shallower leagues wouldn't worry about him really at all. Uh, if you got short uh, roster spots, wouldn't, wouldn't waste one on him either. So it's just a very slim uh, sort of league size and type that he, his name really has any sort of potential value currently. But again, we'll see what happens with the White Sox. I'm sure they're going to have a couple of other injuries or a couple of other needs for some spot starts. And with him showing up well that first time, obviously that's going to keep him on, in the good books in Chicago. So he could be the next guy up that they call. They, the other thing to keep in mind about Chicago is um and I think I've I may have mentioned this in writing and maybe on the podcast as well. Their farm system is very matured. And what I mean by that is it's pretty much empty. The, the Most of the talent, most of the guys that they have um, as their high end or guys are a ball, maybe double A, if you think about uh, Cespedes. Um, but they don't really have a lot of, you know, double A, triple A guys that are like ready to hit the major leagues, they've graduated all of them, right? That was the Eloys. That was the Roberts. That was all those guys over the past couple of years. They've graduated. They're now here, right? Um, the Giolitos, the Ceases, they're all up. 
They're all, you know, part of the team, part of the active roster. So now their farm is really in that revamp and trying to replenish mode. I say that to say when you have, I mean, that's part of the reason why you're picking up a Johnny Cueto when you need innings to fill and you're a team that has a couple of guys in double or triple A that are ready. Those are the guys that you might potentially bring up when you don't have those people. You go out and you say, "Okay, who's on the free agent market? And we sign kind of whatever veterans and or you also say, hey, we can kind of sacrifice, so to speak, some guys that, um, you know, at the double A or triple A level that may not even be major league ready, may not really even be major league players overall. But it's really no harm, no foul. If Davis Martin had came up and got lit up for, you know, two innings, gave up a couple of home runs, eight runs total with three walks and one strikeout and then this option back down, there was nothing gained and nothing, you know, lost for the White Sox other than they didn't have to sacrifice their bullpen and somebody else uh, from the major league level for that particular game. That's it. So it was kind of playing with house money. Davis Martin sees the opportunity, takes care of it. So again, like I say, it's a long season. I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was another injury or another need for a spot start, you know, somewhere down the line in the next month and a half for the White Sox. Davis Martin could come up and we could potentially see what he does in start number two of his major league career. Uh, moving on, we have going from a guy that none of us knew before Monday, um, kind of surprising us in a good way. We had another surprise in a what I would say is a bad way from somebody that we do know. And that's Royce Lewis being sent down um, to AAA by the Minnesota twins. And it really was a hex head scratcher. I think for most people, um, he did uh, promptly Homer in his first AAA at bat after being optioned down. So talk about playing angry. Um, I haven't really seen any good explanation for sending Lewis down. I know people are saying, well, you know, where is he going to play? If you have Polanco, you have um, Correa coming back from his finger injury. Uh, You know, he's not really an outfielder. You can't really put him out in the outfield. uh, I mean, to me, he had played well enough that you figure out how to make at bat. He's now in that realm of we need to figure out how to get him in the lineup. And it may just be a lot of guys shift around kind of every other day. And yes, I know you're playing Carlos Correa a lot of money and like he was your big signing. So I get that. But you can move Polanco to the bench every couple of days and have Lewis play at second. You can um, have Lewis play at third. Like I I think you can make this work if you want it to, if you're the twins. Um, So I, I, I don't I don't really understand it. Uh, kudos to Lewis for not seemingly letting it phase him um, and, and showing up and producing very well uh, from the get go uh, after being optioned down to triple A. So it looks like he's just going to force his way right back up to the major league level, uh, which, again, is all the more impressive considering um, the setbacks that he's had as far as the injury and then pandemic year. So. I mean, Lewis looked really good. Um, he looked really comfortable at the plate at the major league level. And I think everybody would rather he be with the twins, even if he's only playing, you know, through a seven day week, even if he's only playing two or three games, but he's still contributing versus him being at triple A and getting those everyday bats. At this point, 
what else is that you know this isn't a developmental thing to me it's not like they're saying oh well he's learning a new position oh well he's you know needs to cut down his strikeout rate oh he needs to become more patient none of those things were showing up um and he's played triple a that's the other thing too we've seen some of those um explanations for even the, the higher you know in guys like the clinics and the like but it at least made sense because the, these were players coming straight from double A and you could at least say, Hey, they never even faced triple A uh, pitching. So there is a gap there between double A and the major leagues. Maybe it would benefit them if they're not doing well to send them back down to a level they've never played at. That's not the case for Royce Lewis. So I don't get it. Um, I know that the twins are kind of surprisingly in first place in a year that they probably didn't really anticipate being competitive. I mean, they did sign Correa, obviously, so you're committing that much money for a reason, but they probably didn't think that there were going to be multiple games up in the AL Central at this point in time, which they are. So, you know, maybe they're operating from a contender standpoint of, hey, we don't have time to have a, a, a rookie be an everyday guy. I, again, I don't know. I, none, of, none of it makes sense to me. If I had Royce Lewis on my roster, I'd be highly upset. Um, but hopefully he pushes his way back to the bigs uh, sooner than later. And with that, we're going to move into our debuts, into our kind of headlining debuts that we had later in the week um, on Saturday. And that was, again, in St. Louis, uh, Nolan Gorman and Matt Liberator both being called up. Uh, Liberator getting the start. Uh, with Gorman, we're going to get into how he made his debut in that moment. Just to uh, put the bow on Liberator, he makes his major league debut and really was mostly cruising through the first four innings. The wheels really came off on his start in the fifth. He left a hanging curve to Brian Reynolds. Uh, that Reynolds drove deep to left field and was kind of very oddly played by the Cardinals left fielder ends up resulting in a two run inside the park home run. Um, It was all in and I was trying to see who the left fielder was. Uh, I I know they had Yepes in the outfield, but I think Yepes was actually at um, in right field. So I'm not sure who it was in left, but it was just played very oddly where, um, the left fielder just didn't didn't get back, didn't really know where the wall was and didn't really get back in time to make a catch. So it just careens off the wall, down the warning track, rolling, 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 and everybody just run the bases. So um, kind of little league-esque with the inside the park home run. But uh, Libertor throws 88 pitches. Uh, like I said, it looked pretty good he had the curveball working um for the most part the exception uh being the big exception being that curve that he hung to Reynolds but for the most part he got it to drop through the zone got a lot of whiffs um and a lot of um swinging over the top of the curve looked overall relatively comfortable so you know I've talked about Libertor in the past kind of being a little blah I think or for most people when it comes to prospect pitchers I, I think he had a lot more helium in 2020 and through 2021 till now um, people have, have cooled on him. And I understand why uh, there's not a whole lot that you look at that is um, amazing. But to me, he does seem very competent as a pitcher um, and capable. And I think a lot of times, especially for young pitchers, that's good enough. 
Um, we've talked about that with multiple different guests and, and multiple different periods throughout this season um, on, on various different episodes. But um, a lot of times it's just watching a guy learn how to pitch, learn how to get better pitch after pitch at bat after bat, inning after inning, game after game. And, you know, certain pitchers have that capacity to make those adjustments to, to see it, but also know what to do. And other pitchers don't, they either don't see it or they just, they can't enact it um, or can't enact it consistently. I think that Liberator is going to end up on the former versus the latter. Um, A decent start for him to get the ball rolling there. And we'll have to see what happens in start number two. Um, I don't want to go much deeper into Liberator because uh, Ben Palmer actually has a great gift breakdown of Libertor's debut up on the site currently so we'll have a link to that in the show notes so you guys can actually check it out and like all of uh, pitcher list gift breakdowns it does a really good job of showing you how the pitcher gets uh, his outcomes in the start versus just kind of relaying the information to you so uh, Ben Palmer did a great job there and uh, we'll have a link to that in the show notes so as far as Gorman is concerned, um, Gorman got the call up. And, and as I mentioned in the opening, uh, much had kind of been made of the fact that Gorman and Libertor have known each other for a while since they were both kids, had played together on some youth league uh, baseball teams in the past. So it was very cool to see the fact that not only are they both in the same farm system, but they both get a chance to um, play together at the same time, on the same day. In this case, Libertor, of course, it was known he was going to make the start. Gorman was called up, but was not in the original starting lineup. He enters the game after Dylan Carlson uh, leaves in the fourth inning with a calf injury. Carlson managers like myself, you want to keep an eye on that. Uh, I know they have the early game and I think they have the early game today. And I think Carlson was out of the lineup today. So we want to keep an eye, hope it's not anything too serious because he was just starting to finally find his stroke. So uh, we don't want that momentum to go by the wayside. But in the case of Gorman, he gets his opportunity to come in. He goes one for three, hits a double, has a walk, has a run scored. Um, he started today's early game. Uh, when I last checked before we started recording, he was one for two with a double so far today. So keeping up the good work there. You know, Gorman, we've talked about uh, on some previous episodes as well. So I, again, looking to not repeat myself too much, but I think it'll be very interesting to see how he gets featured into the Cardinals lineup, both, I would say, not only where he plays, but also where he is going to hit in the lineup as well. And I think if they, you know, if they keep him no lower than six, I think you could have some, some surprise success there or some, maybe not even surprise, but just better than expected success as far as him being able to um, get more opportunities to bat guys in than if he's hitting down in the lineup in that seven or eight or even nine. Um, I doubt that they have him batting, um, typically batting lower than Edmundo Sosa just because he he's a more talented hitter than Sosa is. But, you know, stranger things have happened. Uh, but yeah, if he stays right around that sixth hole, uh, you obviously have uh, Arenado and the like in the middle. Um, but I think he still ends up to get some opportunities to bat some guys in. He does have, I would say he's not very 
I wouldn't say that he's very fast, but he has, I think, better than expected the foot speed on the base pass. And I think that will bode well, not necessarily from a stolen base standpoint, but guys like that are guys that can sneakily get into scoring position much better than the the, the base-to-base uh, sort of runners, the slower guys, because they can see angles and, and quickly be able to know how to go from first to third, from second to home on certain balls into the gap. They can read those situations well, know um, how the outfielders are positioned and how strong the outfielders' arms are. That's more of a baseball IQ thing along with their foot speed. The base-to-base guys, you know, they're station-to-station. They, there was a handful of run scoring opportunities that they're just not going to have because they're just not going to be able to both make the read and translate that into action. Um, so I think that that's just something, uh, a nice little wrinkle to Gorman's game that I think will benefit him uh, as long as he's in the major leagues. Um, I think about guys like the Chipper Jones, Larry Walker a little bit as far as guys that just, they weren't straight line fast per se, but they were smart enough. They understood how to take the extra base. Um, obviously in Walker's case, he knew how to steal bases as well. And I don't see that in Gorman's game, but you know, just taking the extra base, like I said, first to third, second to home, um, just able to, to score some extra runs because of that. And then we can get to the main event. And that is of course, uh, the Baltimore Orioles, Ali Rushman finally making his debut. Uh, I will take a super quick victory lap on this one because I have been saying that Allie would make his debut by more day weekend. So I, I got that beat by uh, about a, about 10 days or so. Um, but he goes one for three, hits a triple, has a walk, does have a strikeout as well. Um, I think the biggest thing just from a tactical standpoint, if you look at his Savant data for plate appearances, he sees 11 fastballs, but also 11 changeups. In those four plate appearances and we look at the pitch highlighter on Savant just to see kind of where those pitches ended up uh, again because Rushman's a switch hitter and he did bat from both sides in the game you see Tampa was working him with changeups down in the zone um, really I, I mean that lower third and below and they were also throwing fastballs up and away to him when he was batting right-handed. And then almost exclusively as a left-handed batter, he was getting change-ups down and away. Um, very few fastballs at all. So obviously some of that is is also pitcher makeup and, and skill set as well. Having Jeffrey Springs as their starter, um, you're going to see a lot of change-ups coming from him. But I think it was important. He also has a slider that he did not throw a, a whole lot to Rushman. I think that that's interesting. We'll see if that approach remains in place, um, especially after today. So the O's are going to be on the road and we'll be able to watch if Adley gets attacked similarly by other team um, staffs as well. I think personally for Adley, if he, if he tries to kind of just stay square and hit balls up the middle as a right-handed hitter and sort of look to go left center as a left-handed hitter, um, just kind of going away, which obviously is a lot of times easier said than done. But if that's just sort of his focus and his approach, that'll that'll help. Um, of course, the triple he does go down the line. So, um, you know, sometimes you get a ball to pull. That's just naturally what's going to happen. But just trying not to do too much all at once, I think, is going to be the big thing for him. Um, we'll obviously have to wait to see the results, and and we'll dig into 
Adley and kind of what his debut means a little bit more in the second half of the show. But um, you just love to see, I think, a lot of the energy around it. It was very similar to um, a lot of the energy that you saw with Julio Rodriguez um, and his debut and just the sort of life that it, it puts into a franchise. Bobby Wood Jr., same thing for Kansas City. Just, you know, guys that the fans have been hearing a lot about since draft day. They've been waiting for. Um, they've been hearing whether they're in the fantasy or not, they've been hearing somebody or somebody's talk about, but when this guy plays, when this guy shows up, it's going to signal a change. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be important. Uh, so you just, you saw a lot of hype videos coming out of the, um, Orioles camp. Uh, they showed when he got the news, uh, at Norfolk, what that, that was like, which was really cool to see, uh, Buck Britton, the manager at Norfolk, give him the the news and, and his reaction, his teammates' reaction. You saw a lot of hype video, um, just in general kind of highlight clips that the Orioles had put together. And then him actually uh, coming out uh, at the top of the first um, to, to start taking some warm-up pitches um, at uh, catcher and, you know, greeting the umpire and getting standing O from the crowd. And you can see him taking it all in. So that's just cool to see for any, um, any baseball player, any young guy. Uh, obviously I admit my biases as an Orioles fan. It was incredibly cool, but just in general, you love seeing that sort of energy, um, and reaction from the fans to a young prospect coming up. His battery mate and his former minor league teammate, um, Kyle Bradish, did have another sort of tough outing. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fives here. It's five and a third, five earned runs on five hits, two walks, and he also had five strikeouts. The big blows really were uh, he gave up two home runs to Randy Rosarena. Um, that resulted in the Rays having a three nothing lead. And then he ended up on the hook for the other two runs after the O's would go to their bullpen. And the results look a bit uglier than I think the process. However, um, the first homer to Rosarena was a slider. Just got a little bit too much of the zone. Just looking at the replay, started sort of middle in, um, ended up knee high by the time it got to the plate. And it was just timed up perfectly by Rosarena to get sent out. Uh, so not not the worst pitch, but just, you know, didn't totally hit, I think, the spot in the way that they wanted. And then the second home run, it was kind of more of a challenge fastball up and he just didn't get a pass with 95 miles an hour. So not, you know, not super low velocity, but just goes uh, fastball up and right, uh, Rosarena gets around on it. Those things happen on the positive. The five strikeouts were kind of what we're seeing as typical Bradish sliders that he was getting guys to to swing and miss on fastballs that were able to be located on the corners. So I think it's worth watching the home run numbers because I think if those start to climb, he's going to be in trouble very quickly. But I'm still in on Bradish. Uh, and that's, you know, the O's homerism aside, I'm still in on Bradish just because I think, again, um, I talked about him before, I think he has the makeup, the ability uh, that it, it's not going to be an instant uh, success. So him having some of these uh, rough outings, I'm not surprised by. Um, but I, I do think he can put it all together where in a couple of years he, he's going to be somebody of note, um, especially in the fantasy standpoint. So I'm still in. I'm willing to write out some of the less favorable results uh, in order to see how he develops to his full potential. Um, if you're in a redraft league, I would say, I guess it depends on the size of the league, uh, what you want to do with him. Um, 
So take a look at the waiver wire. But if you're in sort of a 14 to 16 teamer, I think you can still kind of hang with them. Um, Dynasty leagues, I think, unless you're in a very shallow league, no reason why you shouldn't hang with him if he's already on your team. I don't necessarily think he is doing enough that you need to go seek him out per se. He's not somebody that I'm like, oh, you got to get in on him right now because the window is about to close. I don't think he's he's strung together those types of starts yet. So I think you can also sort of wait and see. Uh, and, and it's at your own discretion what you like about Bradish and, and trying to grab him from another team, uh, from another manager in a trade. But overall, uh, I think the big things that I do like seeing is he's building up his pitch count. So he's only thrown, I think, one start where it's been under five innings. So I, I like the fact that he's building up the pitch count in the innings. I like the fact that the walks are not coming in bunches. That was really my biggest concern, just having seen his numbers over um, the past couple of seasons, and especially last season, as he went up level to level, it seemed like those walks started to climb um, rather noticeably from level to level, especially once he got to AAA and you're getting the most disciplined and the most talented hitters that you're going to see outside of the major leagues. And that's when I start to kind of wonder, mm, I wonder if he's going to have enough um, pitch execution to get guys out Um or is he going to be wasting a lot of bullets trying to get guys to chase on pitches that they're just going to spit on and spit on? And he's going to be walking a lot of guys. So um, two walks against a team like Tampa, who is relatively patient, I, I think is a overall good sign. Not a lot of walks overall in his starts. I think if he keeps that sort of momentum up, more strikeouts than walks, of course, that's always a good thing. Um, I The 11 strikeout start that he had um I believe that was his last start if or or second to most recent start. I, I don't know if he's going to have a ton of double-digit strikeouts, especially this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if we're seeing a lot of him having five, six strikeouts at a time. And again, if he can continue to build up those innings, I think that creates value because if he can start to build in those quality starts along with having five-plus strikeouts, is that amazing? No. But is that a guy that you want to have on your staff? Yeah. You, you want to have somebody that can give you a quality start almost every time out and also help build in your strikeout numbers as well. And I think Bradish can get to there. Um, I think it's just a, it's just a matter of time. So um, I'm being patient. I would suggest that you do the same unless you absolutely need to move him because there's somebody that's that's much more talented that's out and, and available for you. With that being said, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the big picture in Baltimore that comes with Adley's arrival to Camden Yards. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code 
podcast. Also, don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from YouTube videos, live streams, newsletters, off-season articles, TikToks, breakdowns, over 15 baseball podcasts on our network. We can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season. So sign up for PL Plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free. All right. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the show. All right, and we are back. So with uh, Rushman's promotion, and it's a full-on promotion. There doesn't seem like they're doing any sort of up-and-down stuff with him. So he, he came back from his elbow injury, did his rehab stuff, went up you know, from uh, low A. They had him at for a couple of games, got into triple A, got a little bit of momentum uh, at the bat, and uh, now he's fully brought and now he's fully brought up and, and brought to the big leagues. Um, so with that being said, he's there. Bradish is there, who I think kind of became the fourth um, leg of, of this sort of foundational table. So you got two other members left. And I think that that would be um, D.L. Hall and, uh, of course, Grayson Rodriguez. I guess you could also make an, an argument for Gunnar Henderson as well, who's having quite a phenomenal year. Um, in the minors currently. So I, I guess you could say that's the fifth sort of member. And while I, as an Oilers fan, as I hate to use them as an example, if you look to those 90s uh, Yankees teams and, and what they had with uh, Bernie Williams, with Posada, with uh, Pettit, and of course with Jeter, um, you know, and, and then also having Rivera in as their closer, that sort of core four, pseudo core five, um, sort of situation uh a lot of teams have tried to mimic that ever since and very few i think have succeeded um obviously pretty much none have succeeded to the levels that those yankees teams did um and obviously there's a slew of different reasons for that but that's kind of always been the goal from a a developmental and a minor league standpoint it's like wow if we can get uh two to three to even five guys uh, at different positions that can get built up all around the same time, um, whether it be through uh, drafts, whether it be young guys that we trade for free, eight, you know, undrafted free agents, whatever, um, how impactful that is. Number one, it's it's cost effective because the young guys are going to be cheaper than going out and buying uh, the biggest free agent names that are out there but also it builds that sense of cohesion and, and really builds uh some momentum for for the fan base you can sell that to the fan base as like you know the the baby birds or the it's always the baby something or the you know the young whatever the team is um that are that are, uh, are coming up and learning uh, how to win to use that old adage so with the orioles what does this mean if you look around the other top uh, prospects that are that were right in the range of Adley that were always kind of battling to be the number one um, sort of overall prospects over the last year and a half. So Julio Rodriguez, um, Spencer Torkelson, Bobby Wood Jr., um, those three, I think specifically, their team situations and, and what they mean to their team, kind of three different um, versions and trying to compare to Adley, it, it's, it's kind of interesting. Julio Rodriguez, of course, he's 
um, you know, was tagged as a superstar, but he also was coming behind another guy that was also kind of being tabbed as a superstar in Jared uh, Kellenick. And more importantly than, than rehashing the whole Kellenick bit is the Mariners were actually looking to be a contender, kind of surprisingly so. Um, a team that uh, I think many thought still had a couple of years of adding some parts before they really want to be able to um, compete in the AO West and in the AO overall as a contender kind of surprised folks uh, last year and really pushing the Astros, uh, you know, into pretty much the last month of the season before um, the Astros were, were able to kind of wrap up the division. So Julio is his addition to the team. His promotion was less so about signaling, um, a sort of a comeback or a completed rebuild as much as it was sort of having a supercharged Calvary, right? Like, man, we were this good and this close last year and we're getting this superstar young guy being added to our team uh, next. In the case of Spencer Torkelson, I think his was more so a signal of completing, turning the corner, uh, not necessarily that they're absolutely going to be contenders i think the the bias signing actually was more so a surprise of like hey we'll go out we'll get javi bias um because we really think that we have a chance at the al central right now it's not working out for the tigers i think the promotion of torgerson was more so just a hey this is signaling that we're turning the corner on on miguel cabrera you know he's there for his milestones he's there to get his 3000th hit he's there to finish up his hall of fame career but that time is done. We're paying off his contract, but now we're moving on to our young guys. We already have the pitching staff up and now we're getting into um, having uh, our number one overall uh, hitter in our lineup or our number one overall prospect hitter in our lineup on an everyday basis uh, so that we can actually go from uh, what we've been in the past with kind of aged veterans to being a more youthful team. Now, I think for Bobby Wood Jr., Bobby Wood Jr. might be the closest uh, sort of comparison to Adley as far as signaling, hey, we're, we're back or we're, we're building, um, you know, something new again. I think we've talked about, uh, especially the last two episodes, we've talked about Kansas City and their pitching staff that they've drafted and, and selected and tried to develop and how that hasn't necessarily succeeded. But I think um, Bobby Wood Jr. may be the signal of from the position standpoint of some guys, of course, now they have MJ Melendez up. We're still waiting uh, to hear about Nick Prado, Vinny Pasquantino. Um, Kyle Isbell has been up. Uh, he's kind of been up and down and now is up and, and getting a bit red hot. So uh, from a lineup standpoint, from a hitter standpoint, um, Bobby Wood Jr. is kind of the crown jewel to sit in this crown and, and kind of show um, that the Royals are trying to yet again create another uh, small market successful team, very similar to what they did in 2014, 2015, 2016. Um, none of them, I, I think, neither of those three are exactly um, the same scenario as Adley. Um, not from not necessarily, you know, saying from a talent standpoint that Adley is so much better than them or anything of that nature. But I think what they mean to the franchise, what they mean for the fan base uh, isn't necessarily 
the same as what Ali means for the Orioles. He really has been hyped as when Adley Rushman gets called up, that's sort of the bat signal. That's telling you that it's game one. The Orioles have developed or, or ha- have their pipeline open of developing their prospects. It's going to be him. It's going to be Grayson Rodriguez. Um, I don't think really Cal Bradish, to be quite honest, was somebody that was part of that mix originally, but he's put himself in that mix. D.L. Hall obviously is in that mix. We talked about Gunnar Henderson. You know, these guys are going to be coming up, you know, rapidly. And Adley is going to be the guy that kind of kicks down the door and opens up the floodgates for that to start happening. Um, with that being said, now with him being here, of course, we're still waiting on, uh, like I said, Grayson and Dia Hall. But I think it'll be very interesting to see what the Orioles do, both from a free agent standpoint. Who do they sign uh, and 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 not even necessarily for how much, but who do they sign and where um, going into this offseason? Do they look to bring in some more veteran pitchers to make it um, a little bit easier for Rushman as far as a game caller? Or are they completely fine with saying, hey, we created this core for a reason. We had you guys, um, you know, throwing to Rushman pretty much through every level. We've kept you all together or, or kept most of this group together for a reason. We're okay with going young, taking our lumps. We already know that they've moved the fence and left. So, you know, even making the adjustments to the ballpark to accommodate, if that means we have to ride out some really ugly losses because we have these young guys learning, we're okay with that, but we're going to make that commitment. Or are they still going to try to bring in the Matt Harveys and, you know, these guys that are really on the, the telltale end of their careers essentially to say, well, they are major league players. They've been around their veterans. They're not super expensive and they'll eat some innings for us because we don't really have enough young guys that are going to be able to bridge that gap. I don't know which way they're going to go. It'll be interesting to watch. I think if they do make that commitment, it'll be interesting to see what happens to this sort of earlier wave of pitchers. So Keegan Aiken, he seemed to to actually be able to pivot well so far as they moved him into the bullpen. And he's looked a lot more effective than he ever did as a starting pitcher. So that's good for him. Dean Creamer, um, on the other hand, I don't know that there's going to be much more patience for him in, in the oil system. Uh, Bruce Zimmerman is sort of in the middle. And of course, you have John Means out now due to um, Tommy John. So we'll have to see him really more so probably in 2024, conceivably, if he's if he's out for much of uh, 2023, maybe the back end of 2023, depending on how his uh, rehabilitation and everything goes. Um, so it'll be interesting to see exactly what sort of commitment uh, they make in Baltimore when it comes to the pitching staff. And I think you still have holes around the infield, especially, I mean, third base, I don't think that they really have an answer for. So are you going with Henderson as a third baseman? Are you going to go and again, go out on the free agency market and sign somebody very cheap just to come in and take those at bats? Uh, I think they have to be very happy with what they have with Jorge Mateo. And, you know, what is what happens with Mateo now? He's 26, so he's still very much young, very much in, in his prime. Uh, he's, uh, I think he's turning 27 sometime during the season. 
he's capable as short, but he's shown the ability to move around uh, at different positions. We kind of know what he is when it comes from a hitting standpoint. He's never going to be high average. He's not going to be a high slugger, but he's going to be able to get on base enough that he's causing havoc. Uh, he's somewhere up uh, among the league leaders when it comes to stolen bases, and that's very helpful. Uh, I think Cedric Mullins has stabilized. He's, he's come back down to earth, obviously, from his year last year, which I think should have been anticipated. It was by me, at least. But he's still very much, uh, I think, helpful. But you have a lot of outfield prospects and a lot of young outfielders uh, in the Orioles system. They got to figure out uh, DJ Stewart, who was actually in that video that I mentioned with uh, Adley getting the news about his promotion, DJ Stewart was actually the first guy around the corner to to congratulate him, which was really cool. But from a, a playing standpoint, what are they going to do with him? He hasn't really seemed to be able to produce consistently at all. Um, Santander, he's very inconsistent, both from a health standpoint and production standpoint. He's riding a bit of a hot streak right now. In my opinion, I think is right around the perfect time to start courting offers for him to unload him before he starts to go cold again, like he's kind of always done from year to year. But you have Ryan Mountcastle. That looks stable, right? Mountcastle looks good. Uh, Hayes looks good. That looks like that's an everyday outfielder for you. We already talked about Mullins. Um, So, you know, you got to figure out how to patch a hole at third, um, at least until, like I said, until you figure out, do you want to put Henderson there? And you have Kobe Mayo who, to me, by 2023, he's got to be in the mix. I mean, what Mayo has been doing in the the lower minors, he got off to a little bit of a slow start this year and then completely 180'd and has been very hot ever since. Um, obviously, he was uh, on fire last season um, in his major league or in his professional debut, I should say. Uh, so he's definitely bearing down and, and definitely seems like he should be an everyday third baseman. So you got a couple of options there coming up for the next couple of years, right? Somewhere in 2023 to 2025 um, between Henderson and Mayo. You got to figure out what your second base situation looks like. Uh, Jemiah Jones didn't look like that panned out. You can't have Odor as your everyday second baseman. That's just, that's not viable as an option for anybody that's seeking to be or even become competitive, let alone being competitive. Uh, so you got to figure out what you're doing there. So you still have these holes to fill. And I'm just curious to see how many of those holes get patched by some more young Orioles prospects. And how many of them do they say, hey, we're just going to go with like league minimum veteran guy just because it's a, a bit easier. I don't think it makes the team better if they go that route. Um, I think it just makes it a little bit, like I said, just a little bit easier to just run out, you know, a Pat Vileka type because he's been around the league for eight to nine years, but he's not necessarily, he's not going to develop into a new player and he's not necessarily going to add any sort of additional value where you can flip him. So I don't really, I, I think the Orioles have to start to move out of this realm. And I think maybe that's the biggest thing that Adley signals is the rebuild is not done, not by a long shot, but now when you have these guys up, now is the time where you have to be comfortable giving them the keys to the franchise and essentially saying like, hey, it, it's it's going to be more playing the Adleys. It's going to be more playing the Gunnar Hendersons. It's going to be more playing those guys. 
and less playing the Valekas, the Odors, less signing the Matt Harveys, less signing those guys and, and bring those guys on because we just we, we got to give our young guys the reps. And they've done everything we've asked them to do in the minor leagues. They've gone through that triple A level, like I talked about earlier. You know, it's not guys going from double A and making a jump straight into the majors. They've gone up through all the levels. They've done everything we've asked them to do. They just got to take their lumps at the major level and we'll separate the wheat from the chaff that way. So I think that maybe is the my biggest takeaway looking at um, Adley's promotion uh, this weekend is now the Orioles really are in a situation that they said they want to be in. And I think the fans have wanted them to be in, but are they going to commit wholly to it? That's the difference between teams that actually rebuild and become competitive and you look at their team and you say wow you know you look at a team like the Astros and their recent run and you can feel however you feel about the Astros and all their extracurriculars but when you look at that team and you say okay Altuve, Bregman, Tucker, Jordan, uh, you know they had Korea there and now they have Jeremy Pena they had George Springer there like all those guys being guys that got drafted all those guys being guys that got developed all those guys being guys that they turned the keys over to and said, you're just going to be the everyday guy. We're not going to be, you know, have you on the bench sort of, and then off the bench. It's just, here's your spot. Here's your role. Um, and letting the chips fall where they may, it, you know, it was ugly in Houston for a while. And we have to remember that. And I don't think it's, you know, a lot of people didn't think it was coincidental that, you know, Baltimore took on some Houston guys, obviously with, um, Michael Elias and, um, his sort of brain trust coming over, you know, that was seen as being purposeful. So that that sort of pipeline, that sort of blueprint could be duplicated in Baltimore. And we'll have to see. We'll have to see if if they're going to commit to it the same way and if they're giving the leeway to commit to it in the same way that they were in Houston. Um, that's the biggest thing. Is ownership going to be okay with the fact of, hey, so, you know, the ticket sales are going to be still pretty poor the teams are still going to be taking a lot of losses. We're still going to be drafting pretty high, especially with this draft lottery that's going to be coming next year. That will be something to watch as well. You know, there's a big draft coming up this season, obviously. And then with the draft lottery going into play next year, now all of a sudden you could end up as a hundred loss team and not have the number one overall pick. And what does that do? Um, what is the trading of draft picks? And, and that's the other thing that's coming next year. You know, do we see this become more NBA style where, you know, hey, OK, I was the worst team record wise, but because the lottery, I ended up with pick number seven instead of pick number one. Am I packaging guys together and trying to, you know, deal pick number seven so I can move up to pick number four and really get my guy? It All of this is not because of Adley. But his arrival is timed as such that it it really is kind of make or break for what the next 10 plus years or so of Baltimore baseball will look like. There's a there's a path where they succeed on their moves more often than not. And not everything is going to be success. That's just is really impossible. But, you know, there's more success than failure. And we look and we say, wow, the Orioles, it took them a while. But look at these guys and. Look at how good this team is and they're constantly competing and they're in, you know, they're in the playoffs. They're in the ALCS, maybe even in the World Series or two. Wow, that's awesome. 
but there's definitely multiple paths where we end up looking in another five to six years and it was nice when Allie was here, but now he's gone. It was nice when Grayson Rodriguez was here, but they didn't re- they didn't try to extend him. So, you know, he left just like Machado left. You know, all these guys were up and then they're gone. Or, you know, this guy could have gotten a chance with the Orioles, but they kept signing, you know, somebody else to block him from his path. And then he ended up getting traded or going to this other team. And now he's blossomed. That's happened too often, I think, for Baltimore fans in, in the past. And now is a good time for for that history to to kind of cease to be. So, Ali's again, Ali's promotion uh, is not the cause of all this, but it did make me think about um, what this means. And I, I do think the timing is significant of his promotion, what that signals for the Orioles, uh, for the franchise. Like I said, for the next decade or so, I think it, it could be a lot of positivity, but that a needle that has to be threaded very, very well um, by the entire brain trust uh, in, in, in the warehouse, right? From the ownership on down, really. Uh, and the players have something to do with it as well. Adley has to produce. D.L. Hall has to produce. Grayson Rodriguez has to produce. Kyle Bradish has to produce. Gunnar Henderson. Um, and you go down the line, Kobe Mayo, Colton Kozer, or Kowser, excuse me, and we have to see what they're going to do with the draft. Are they going to, you know, try to keep going with this underslot um, strategy that they've been doing and to me not really succeeding at or not really showing anything that looks like a success with, you know, going underslot for a college hitter versus some of the other more talented, but maybe raw types, maybe more expensive types to me. And I'll bang this drum over and over again. I'll continue to do so up in, through the draft, but it's, it's Drew Jones, right? To me, it's, it's just his ceiling is such that to have him and, and mind you, you know, it's a prep baller. So he's not going to be timed up with the guys that I just named that are already in the pipeline. But, you know, that's a Julio Rodriguez-esque situation. How great would it be for the Orioles to be you know, in 2024 and 2025 and be maybe just a hitter or two away and not have to worry about, man, who's on the free agent market or man, we can probably trade somebody, but we might weaken our overall team because we got to give up some good players to get a good player. We don't have to worry about that. You know why? Because we have a dynamic bat that's that's cheap, to be honest, and already in our farm that's coming up. And is about to be ready. And Drew Jones, even in a Termar Jack, uh, Termar Johnson, excuse me, um, even in a Jackson Holiday, who's gotten a lot of helium, I, I, I still have to read some more scouting reports on Jackson Holiday. And I'm starting to get into draft talk, and that's a whole nother episode that we want to do. But uh, you know, any of these guys versus just saying, "Hey, let's go for the, the cheaper college veteran." and hope that that works out you know what does that give you is that going to be like a you're going to go for a gavin cross you're going to go for i mean even even a guy that i think is going to be a good major leaguer in brooks lee that is a guy that if i am a team like i don't know if i'm a team like detroit having a brooks lee i think that helps me out right I think he he is solid. He's has good baseball IQ. He has a good skill set. 
plays premium position. That that does me some good. He's not a talent, a generational talent that's going to help in a franchise turnaround. And that's that's really, even though they have Ali, even though they have Grayson Rodriguez, that's who a team like the Orioles need to be looking at. Who's the generational guy? Who's the guy, if there is one, there's not always one in every draft, but the, if there is one, who's the guy that if you get him in, again, five to 10 years, you're talking about one of the easily 30 best players in the league. That's the trajectory that Julio Rodriguez is trying to be on. That's the trajectory that Bobby Wood Jr. is trying to be on. Spencer Torkelson is trying to be on, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of my soapbox about Ali, about the Orioles, about rebuilding, I guess, maybe as a whole. That's the episode. Uh, I know it was a little bit of a hodgepodge, but that's the way the week kind of went. So we'll keep an eye on uh, how Adley does. We'll keep an eye on Matt Liberatore and his next start, Nolan Gorman and how he's doing. And of course, Dylan Carlson and his injury. But with that being said, as always, I want to remind listeners that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen and subscribe. Of course, you can find me on Twitter at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. Send me any questions. We don't have any mailbag today, but send me any mailbag questions uh, through Twitter. You can also send them to me via email, Inside Fastball Newsletter at gmail.com. If you're on Pitcher List Plus Discord, you can find me and send me questions either directly or you can also send them through the mailbag question channel that we have set up in the server. Uh, With that said, I hope you enjoy the rest of your 